Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so as you just said, uh, my name is Kwamina. I'm engineering lead at Give Directly. And so I'm just going to be stepping through this presentation, which is going to talk about some of the work we do. Um, I'll start with who we are and what we do. Then I'll talk about why we give cash. And then I'll talk a little bit about the work we've been doing to scale our operations and some lessons we've learned there. So let's start with who we are. So Give Directly is an international NGO. We're actually the fastest growing international NGO in the world. Um, and we've been operating for the past more or less a decade, 11 years, delivering unconditional cash transfers to the world's poorest people. So over the past 10 years, we've delivered over $500 million to over a million recipients. And then the next two points are kind of a bit more unique about Give Directly. We're a very research-focused nonprofit. So we've actually conducted 15 RCTs. RCTs are randomized control trials. And these are kind of the gold standards when um, doing assessments about efficacy for interventions like this. And the last thing is our 90% efficiency rate is something we're really quite proud of. Um, that means that for every dollar donated to give directly, 90 cents ends up in the hands of recipients. And this is very, very high for most charities. Um, and obviously very relevant for an EA community because we're trying to be as scalable and efficient as possible. So why cash? Um, there's been a lot of research about cash. Cash is actually one of the most researched interventions. And that's because from base principles, people have a sense of skepticism around cash because for in-kind donations, it's quite obvious if somebody needs water, I'm giving water. If you're giving cash, there's a lot more question marks about where does the cash end up? What are the recipients spending the money on? But over the past 10 years, especially um, earlier on as we started, this was a, a growing question. But now there's a lot of evidence that shows that cash is an extremely effective intervention. Um, this review of 165 studies, shows that studies showed that positive outcomes increase almost across the board. So these are things like uh, household and food spending, school attendance, um, you see a whole lot more there. The other thing you see is that negative outcomes also decrease. And this is a lot uh, less intuitive, but you see things like domestic violence, um, child labor going down. Child labor is a bit more obvious, perhaps. But one thing that you see as well is that money spent on temptation goods, and when we say temptation goods, we're talking about things like alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, also decreases, which is one of the biggest uh, question marks people have about cash. Does it increase you know, uh, temptation spending? And we see that's not the case. This third point is actually for a more recent RCT. And this is a really cool thing that we see that when you give cash, it has a multiplier effect as it ripples through a community. So for every dollar, this, um, this RCT showed that there's about a 2.4x, somewhere between 2.4 and 2.7, but this study showed 2.4. There's a 2.4x effect on the people who don't receive the money. So when you give a dollar, as that money ripples through the community, we measure the non-recipients and we see how their lives are being improved. And so there's not just the dollar you're giving, there's also a network effect as you give cash. And this is really cool in the global development, global poverty space, because you don't want to just be giving money, giving money and seeing what happens. It actually has a ripple effect and more long-term effects. This study was conducted over 27 months, I think from the date of first transfer. So we see it's not just an immediate effect, but there are some long-lasting effects here. Um, and so what we give, or we give unconditional cash transfers. And this is also why um, some of it was more... Um, it was more revolutionary when we started doing it. And unconditional means that you can spend the money on whatever you want. And this allows us to be more, to be more direct, flexible, and efficient. And I'll talk about how that works out. So one thing right off the bat, if you're giving unconditional cash transfers, it means you don't have to build in the mechanisms for enforcing conditionality. 
So the quintessential conditional cash transfer program is something like a food stamp or a food voucher. And if you're doing food stamps, you have to make sure that you have places where that, month, that voucher can be redeemed for food. So you have to set up that infrastructure. The other thing you often see is that when you have food vouchers circulating through a community, they will get traded as if they're cash because you can use them to buy food. And so now you have to find ways to prevent them from turning into cash light, which is just cash with a discount rate, because obviously a voucher can only be used in one place, whereas cash can be used anywhere. So just having not needing to do that level of conditionality adds some efficiency to delivering cash. The other thing, as I was mentioning before, is the economic effects. If you're giving unconditional cash transfers, recipients are free to spend their money however they think is the most effective. And from an economic perspective, that means that you're, they're operating as essentially market agents, free market agents, which is what you want. If you're adding conditionality, you decrease some of these economic benefits because the money has to be spent in the way that you from the outside think is going to be most effective, not what actually is going to be most economically effective. The last point, which is maybe the most important point, is from a recipient dignity perspective. We all spend our money how we think is the most, is the most relevant for our lives. And for these recipients, we think it's really important that they're empowered to spend their money the way that they think is, the, is going to benefit them the most. Uh, and this is just one of the, our standards, one of our GD's core values is recipient advocacy, recipient first. And so this is something we try to cleave to. So let's talk a little bit about how we've scaled and how we can continue to scale. Um, so as you can see, this graph is going up and to the right, which is what you want to see. Um, it spiked a lot in 2020. And in 2020, we started doing COVID relief in the US. Now, this is very different from our usual programs, which tend to be in Eastern Africa, because that's where poverty is the most extreme and the money goes the furthest. But what we found is that a lot of the donors who started giving in 2020 to COVID in the US, mainly US donors, actually transferred to be give more internationally. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about this at the end if we have time, but it's one example of how looking at a different donor base and kind of changing your messaging can really spike a growth in ways you might not expect. So when we talk about scaling, there's obviously the fundraising side, but there's also the delivery side. So I'm going to talk about delivery first, and then I'll talk about some of the other fundraising changes we've been making. So on the delivery side, the name of the game is mostly automation. We've hired some really good, really good engineers who are automating a lot of the parts of our system. When you're giving out money, there are loads and loads of manual checks you need to do just because you want to make sure there's no fraud, no corruption. And so a lot of those manual steps end up really bogging down the process because somebody has to go and check the accounts Somebody has to go and check the receipts. And what we've spent a lot of the last year doing is building out really, really reliable systems for automating some of that. And that's allowed us, allowed us to scale up the, the capacity we have for delivering cash. The other thing is the enrollment side. So obviously, before you can give cash to people, you need to figure out who are the people who need to be getting the cash, who are the most vulnerable people. Um, and so what we've done in Togo is we've set up an auto-enrollment um, auto model. So we've used machine learning to figure out which areas tend to have the poorest people and cross-correlate that with a lot of other variables to do a pre-enrollment model where we kind of have an idea of who should be enrolled beforehand. And then all they have to do is connect to us via an SMS menu and we can enroll them as they go, just then and there. So I'll actually through, go through a quick demo here. Um, there's a UK number and a US number. Hopefully that covers most of you. Um, I'll also play the video in case you can't go through it. So if you text that number, it will take you through a dummy flow. Don't worry, you're not going to get any money from GiveDirect. Or maybe, I'm sorry, you're not going to get any money. Um, but this is kind of a dummy flow that shows how, you, how we're registering uh, recipients in Togo. So I'll just play this video, and you guys can walk through that, and I'll just pause for about a minute.
actually cut it off just because we started a bit late. I want to make sure we get through it. Um, but hopefully you guys got a couple of the back and forth through the SMS uh, menu. Um, and if you got to the end, you can see how the whole process takes roughly a minute, maybe two minutes, which is a vast improvement of our traditional model where you have a field officer go to people's houses and register them in person. So now let's talk about the fundraising side. Um, when you're trying to scale fundraising, um, there's obviously one aspect which is connecting to your existing communities, your existing base. So this is something like the Effective Altruist community. There's a lot of support within the Effective Altruist community for the work that GiveDirectly does. But what we've seen is that scaling is not just reaching to the people who already care about your message, but how do you expand the donor base? So how do you connect to people who won't be in the rooms like this? We found three things that we're trying to focus on as we're building out our capacity to scale outside of our traditional markets. Um, these are evidence of impact, meaningful connection, and incrementality. So evidence of impact is obviously intuitive for everybody here. With an EA mindset, we all kind of know evidence-based is really important. But that's not uniquely EA, and we find that if we can show all kinds of donors where their money's going, that, in that inspires them to donate more. The second bit is building a meaningful connection between the donor and the impact of their donation. Um, this is something that's actually quite hard to do, um, and we're finding new ways to do that. We have lots of challenges we do that, and I'll talk through some of those as I um, walk through a video of one of our new products. And the last thing is incrementality. When you give money, it's easy to say, okay, I've given this chunk of money, but we want to try and show if you give more, this is what that giving more unlocks. So we want to say, why should I give now? Why should you give more? And what does that extra bit do? Um, so all of this comes together in a new donation experience that we actually just finished rolling out uh, about two weeks ago. Um, and this is for a UBI pre-enrollment program that's operating in Kenya. So UBI, uh, I'm sure most people are familiar, is universal basic income. And so it's a pre-enrollment model because traditionally we get money in, then we go and find people who need the money, and then we give them the money. In this case, what we've done is we found the people who we know we're going to give the money to before we've sourced the funding, which is a little bit risky and uh, something we didn't, haven't done a lot in the past. But what this does, lets us do is it really shows donors this is where your money is going. Um, so here's the link to that experience. It's also rolled out on the main page. And I'll just step through a quick video showing how it works. So in this situation, we have right up front, you can see here the people who are getting your money. So that's the immediate evidence of impact. There's a real person, Wanaida, is getting your money. She's 33. She's in Veragoni, Kenya. Obviously, there's some level of obfuscation here. We don't want to give too much personal information about recipients. So the location here is actually not the direct village. It's kind of the, it's called a sublocation, which is like a county in Kenya. Um, but it does show you quite clearly that this is actually where your money's going. And this isn't just a gimmick. It's actually the person who will get your transfer. And every time your $30 goes, that's where the money goes. The second step is if you hit read more, you can see a bit of information about Wanaida. You can see her photo. You can see a photo of her with her family. And you can see her answers to some of the questions we ask. We always ask survey questions with recipients whenever we transfer money because it's important to make sure that we're always interacting with the same recipient so there's no level of fraud or corruption, as well as making sure there's nothing, no kind of threats or anything happening to the recipient. So we always check in. And so we've taken some of that information and put it up here. I'll talk about the selection around which question we chose a little bit more. Lastly, the incrementality aspect. As you increase your donation, it's really, really clear where that money is, what that money is unlocking. Before you're only funding one person, now you're helping three people. And as you add more, as you increase your donation, we also increase the content you're able to see. So it's a very intuitive and tactile uh, representation of how scaling your donation is scaling the impact. Lastly, when you go to the Give Now, um, it takes you to our traditional checkout page. But what's cool is what happens after this is that 
we have, like I said, we do follow-ups whenever we transfer money. And this is a monthly cadence of transferring because it's UBI. And so what we've done is we say every quarter, so we don't overload donors, every quarter we'll summarize what that recipient has spent their money on because we always have to check in just to make sure nothing weird has happened. And this kind of builds this continuous connection where you can see, okay, I've been giving, I've given $90 over the past three months. Here's where that money went. Here's how it helped somebody. So this is all trying to build on those three aspects I chatted about earlier. Um, this hasn't been easy. We have a really incredible director of product who spent a lot of time wrestling through how we represent a product like this. Um, and as we're trying to target different donor bases, it's important that we keep playing to our strengths. So one of the things I mentioned is efficiency. If you're trying to scale things like this and generate new content, it's very easy or very tempting to spend more time generating that content than you spend on actually delivering the money and making sure you're efficient. So what we've done here is, as I said, this is a, this is a universal basic income program where the amount of money that we need to give is roughly a dollar a month. And that's actually a really targetable donation rate for a lot of our retail donors in Western countries. So rather than trying to say, what do we want the donors to do? We found a program that matches what fits with the donor base. Another example is the content itself. So like I said, we check in with the recipients anyway, and we need to take photos of them, a photo of them individually and a photo of them with their family, just to make sure that we're reaching the same person, reaching the right person, making sure that they're not trying to enroll into households, all sorts of things like that. And so we found ways to take our existing content and make that available to donors in a way that's palatable and consumable by them, rather than trying to say, we're just gonna source new content to try and be more effective fundraisers. The other thing that's been a real challenge is recipient dignity. Um, when you're building out an experience like this, it's very easy to turn it into some kind of shopping cart where you're, oh, I'm gonna pick up that person, I'm gonna, I'm gonna support that person. Um, and so what you actually see when you go through the experience is there's no level of choosing. All you can do is add your donation or decrease your donation. You can't pick or choose certain recipients. The other thing is the range of questions we ask. It's really, um, it's been very tempting in the charity space for a lot of nonprofits to do something kind of veer into poverty porn and showing this is how terrible life is. This is what an African life is suffering. And so what we try to do is show a range of questions. So there's the, what are your biggest challenges question? But there's also the, what's the happiest part of your day and what are you spending the money on? Which kind of shows a more well-rounded and we think respectful view of the recipients and how their lives actually are. Um, I'm gonna skip through this one. I talked a little bit about it because there's not that much time, but basically this is chatting about, this is talking through um, our COVID-19 program in the US, which was new. We didn't usually operate in the US, um, but it was extremely efficient in terms of uh, the amount of money we could deliver per dollar donated because the infrastructure in the US is very efficient in ways that it's not, it's harder to do in parts of like Eastern Africa. Um, but as I mentioned, we, I kind of talked through how that's led to scaling of our overall donations, both domestically in the US and internationally. Um, so if you're interested in learning more, there are a couple of places to do that. One is try out the new donation experience. It's now live on the website, so just givedirectly.org will take you through that pre-enrollment UBI program. Um, there's also a cash research explorer, which shows some of the studies around cash. We try to maintain the current state of what academia is thinking about the efficacy of cash. And lastly, we run a lot of RCTs ourselves. So we have a portal on our page that shows the studies we're running and the current state of those. So the takeaways here are one, cash transfers are really effective, so please give us money. Uh, the second one is that when you're trying to scale, one of our effective interventions, this is kind of more broadly ap applicable to the, GA to the EA space, um, it's really important to look outside of your core donor base while still maintaining and playing to your strengths. And the last thing is that we're hiring. So I'm gonna be at, a career, at the, manning a booth at the career fair. 
So if you have any relevant skills and we're hiring for a ton of different positions, please come through, whether it's tech, whether it's design, whether it's anything in the nonprofit space, we have lots of openings. Um, so thank you very much. And I think we've got around five minutes for questions. So. <laughs> I think that was what the, the message was speak loudly, and I'll repeat the question when you ask. Um, this lady in blue, in the fourth row. Yeah, I'll try to respond to each one really briefly. So I think the first one was about uh, the temptation goods. Um, I'm not sure the exact study. I have it linked. Um, I can send that to you afterwards, whether it's the Popova study or a different study. Um, so I don't have the exact details of that, but I can link that to you. Um, for the second question... Yeah, um, I'll, I'll link the study so I can, I can be more specific. I don't have the exact answers. Um, but I do know that we do different studies in rural and urban areas. We do do some level of distinction there. Um, we, don't give, we try not to give conditional as much as possible. So we don't say we're not going to give the money if we see that people are drinking in this area. Um, certain programs, certain partners do have conditionality requirements. So USAID has conditionality that you cannot spend the money on alcohol. Um, I want to make sure I get to your other two questions as well. So let's move on. Yeah. 
So we do um, some cash plus programs where there's programming as well as the cash transfers. Um, we're working on some of those, especially more recently. So it's not just here's the money, but we work on saving, we work on here's the money. this is places you can spend the money. Um, so it's not just pure cash everywhere. I want to make sure that other people get a chance to ask questions too. Sorry. Um, were there any other questions? Um, you in the maroon sweatshirt? Yeah, so we've done a lot of kind of research on what the best ways of giving this out. At the beginning, we used to target individual households and say, you are the poorest person, you deserve, you need the money the most. Now what we try to do is target at the village level. So we say these villages are the most affected, are the poorest villages. So this reduces, this increases community cohesion. So it's not my next door neighbor's gotten the money and I haven't. And so that's one of the things we found is really effective. The other thing is, as I was saying, they're kind of these network effects. So if one village is getting these cash transfers, a village next door might know, well, Give Directly might come in a year, might come in two years. They're not going to say, let's go and start problems. They want to try and, they want to try and be in a position where they can get that cash transfer later. And also, money going to one village will ripple through the economy and end up in other people's villages as well. So it's kind of a more generally positive effect than everybody competing for a tiny pool of money. Yes, at a village level. Um, in the back. Yeah. Yeah, so we do a couple of different um, payment models. So one is that lump sum payment. We usually, we, that's the traditional model where we do two lump sum payments of around $500. It depends on country and different situations. Um, then the other main model that we're looking at is the UBI model. And this is the kind of recurring um, small payments as an income. Um, and they kind of target different situations. So the lump sum is really good for investments because if you're getting $30 a month, you can't just all of a sudden buy a new business, buy a new motorbike, something like that. Whereas the lump sum payment is really good for that. UBI is really good because it encourages saving. It makes you, it, it causes recipients to now they have a steady flow of money. They can think, okay, if I'm saving this much each month, I can put my child through school in this way. So these are the two kind of really big scalable things we're doing. We also do a lot of humanitarian interventions. So we did, um, we do, I think we might be, well, we do interventions in various different places. Um, and some of those are more targeted specifically for that situation. So maybe we say that there's, a, there's an immediate acute shock. People need $150 because that's what we've measured. That would be the most effective. And so we'll give different payment models in the humanitarian programs. Yeah, we tend to. We tend to. Um, I'm being told that we're out of time. Uh, I'll be outside afterwards. So if you have any other questions, just meet me there. Um, and I'm on the Swapcard mm -hmm. app so you can grab some time with me. Thank you all.